0: In some ways, I will tell you it's an advantage because there isn't a single entity. There isn't a feeling like, you know, if that entity went away, the product would go away. We have communal ownership. There's pride of ownership the same way there is with Linux. People are proud that they helped put this together.
1: With me on the show today is Mark Himmelstein. Mark is the Chief Technology Officer at RISC-V International. RISC-V International is a nonprofit consortium chartered to standardize, protect, and promote the free and open-source RISC-V instruction set architecture, together with its hardware and software ecosystem for use in all computing devices. Mark, thanks for taking the time to talk with me today.
0: Glad to do so. Thank you. So
1: before we get into your journey in technology, I'd like to talk first about your involvement with Risk v But to start off, can you kind of give a quick elevator pitch to people who aren't aware of exactly what Risk v is and why they might be interested?
0: Absolutely. So Risk v is the largest open-sourced hardware ISA grown in the open source ever in history. It is, uh, we like to say, the Linux of, of open hardware and so for for folks who want to go ahead and you know use an instruction set that they can customize down at the iot embedded level or something that they want to take advantage of what the community is doing all the way up to hpc it's a great vehicle and as you probably know looking at our website and our slides and our our uh, various media that you know an increasing number of companies are putting out some products with risk five whether they be in, again, in, in the Edge, Embedded, Enterprise, Cloud,
1: uh, HPC. Now, unlike what probably a lot of people are familiar with in the, the chip ecosystem, RISC-V is not developed and owned by one company, correct? There's a, there's a consortium of companies that all kind of work together on it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think you should, again, think of it as Linux. Um, but one thing I will tell you, just so that you understand the, sort of the context, is that RISC-V doesn't do anything that's implementation-dependent. RISC-V only works on the ISA and other implementation independent pieces like the software ecosystem, architecture, test, formal model, things like that. So, yeah, we we have a group of you know, probably about a 2,000 combination of uh, corporate institution and individual members. Uh, we have about uh, 55 groups that are working on various parts and probably, I would say, two to 300 active members working in those groups and about 50 leaders among those groups. Okay.
1: Now, as CTO, what kind of things do you focus on most? Is it mostly like developer outreach, corporate outreach, directing kind of technical research,
0: and the ISA development all of the above yeah so I, you know i 've been an executive for a long time I ran Solaris for Sun. so i 've done some some pretty big things where most of the people didn 't report to me and and uh, it's an interesting, you know, herding cats kind of thing. But I always uh, group my my job into three pieces. The first piece is planning and strategic. So, like, what are we going to do? What are we going to prioritize? What makes sense for the members in order for them to be successful? The second piece is outreach, where I am reaching out to companies that, you know, may be using Risk Five in an embedded situation, but nobody knows about them. Uh we have uh some some earbud manufacturers reportedly uh shipping fifty million units a month with RISC V cores in it, but they're not part of RISC V because they've just done their specific thing for their specific application. We want to bring them in and help us uh, for example, define SOC uh, you know, uh related items. And then the third piece is day-to-day operations. I'm the guy who's responsible for getting things over the goal line. We did not ratify one little thing in 2020 but that's it and now in 2021 we have a huge number of extensions that are coming out some very highly visible ones crypto scalar and vector that happens because my staff and i working with the leaders of the groups are serious about, about execution and the life cycle and getting things out so that members can use them with unity and and take advantage of all the great work that the rest of the community is doing
1: i know a few people that uh work on open power And just in talking to them, I've heard about the difficulty in promoting, you know, the open source hardware designs and how tough it is. But you guys are doing it without the benefit of the Goliath of IBM behind you helping push up the hill. But with the community all working together, have you noticed that you guys have been able to make significant progress without that, you know, single large corporate entity?
0: Um, In fact, in some ways, I will tell you it's an advantage because... There isn't a single entity. There isn't a feeling like, you know, if that entity went away, the product would go away. We have communal ownership. There's pride of ownership the same way there is with Linux. People are proud that they helped put this together. So there's a different feeling about it, uh, you know, totally. But I will tell you that, you know, the the thing that keeps us together um, is the fact that people don't want to duplicate effort. They want to spend their time innovating. They don't want to have to go ahead and, and, you know, Define ad for the hundredth time, they want to go ahead and take advantage of what we've done. They don't want to go ahead and implement the compiler that implements ad for the hundredth time. They want to take advantage of what the community is doing and they put their little bits in and then they take advantage of what other people do. So that's really the the glue that holds us together is that you know it's a it's a product that people can do with what they want yet still take advantage of what the community is doing and not have to bear that burden all themselves a lot of companies did their own chip architectures uh, you know for many many years especially in in asia pacific and now they don't want to why because they can take advantage of ours and they don't feel like there's an 800 pound gorilla who's going to own the game and really cut them off of the knees at some level on the next generation or you know whatever it is so i think it's a great advantage and again remember We only do implementation independent stuff. There are other organizations like Low Risk and Chips Alliance and Open Hardware that are doing open source designs, and they're coupled with us. And we keep our distance at some level just from a separation of church and state kind of thing. Uh And so we don't favor any implementation. But we do work with those other organizations very closely, and we have some joint working group where we have to make sure that the implementation is going to work well with whatever we're specifying the ISA. But uh, but they take care of those, and obviously, you know, we're trying to fuel the proprietary for-profit companies as well. And there's uh, plenty of of them selling IP or or custom chips or or whatever you want. And we have a you know the RISC Five Exchange on our website where anybody can go ahead and advertise for free. It,
1: when I look at the, the open source hardware space, it seems to me that the progress, while it has been slow, it has been steady. Do you think that we're going to see that development picking up steam as we, as we go forward?
0: Yeah, and I, I don't think you can just say the open source hardware space alone, because there's a lot of upstream software projects that have to be involved, whether it be Tensor or OpenTitan or GCC, it doesn't make a difference, right? All those pieces have to come together. So the acceleration that I see, especially over the last year, is, is number one, getting over the hump of the basic things that need to be in the instruction set for it to be competitive for our members in order to uh, be useful in the world. And then I see this, you know, the software group start out with one group 14 months ago and now is at like 15 groups right? And it's the biggest growth. And why is it the biggest growth? It's because of all these pieces I just mentioned. They all have to be there, whether it be, you know, Linux ports or RTOSs or, or, you know, Android or whatever. It all has to be there, plus the runtime libraries, plus the graphics, plus, you know, all these pieces need to be there. We work with Kronos and so on. So that is accelerating. And that's where you're going to see, I think, the biggest growth on top of you know, sort of this uh, incredible explosion of cores out there in the world, which, you know, success begets success. I mean, this year we'll probably exceed a billion RISC-V cores out in the marketplace. There are some reports that show, like from Semicode, that show an excess of 80 billion uh, by 2025. And also huge amounts of like FPGA-based solutions based on RISC-V already, almost like a quarter of those uh, solutions and uh, the belief is that, you know, 13% of all solutions by 2030 will be risk five based So we're excited about that. There's growth there. But... You know, without the ecosystem, the ISA doesn't need very much. Yeah, it's the classic
1: chicken or egg problem. You need the, the hardware available for people to then develop on it so that then there's more drive for people to get the hardware to be able to do things with it so they can develop
0: on it. Yeah, well, this year is a great inflection point for us. The inflection point is that there are now half a dozen developer boards out there, everywhere from like 1 gig up to 16 gig. You can with the 16 gig ones. Guys like Red Hat can go ahead and... and Totally do the self-compile on the on the box itself. We ourselves, uh, risc Five International, is working on seeding a thousand early adopters, distros, and academia by June of 2022. And we're working with all the vendors for the different types of boards to get them in the hands of uh, people as appropriate. You know, for example, we just gave three boards to Richard Berry for free RTOS, for example.
1: That's fantastic. Because I know for myself, there have been runs of hardware to, you know, get it out into people's hands. And I always seem to find out about it after it's done. Like I know the... uh it was a Beagle bone that was based on Risk Five, which again I found out about afterwards. I'm like, oh man, I I can't get one. I've heard that they're do they might be doing another another R and D board that is going to be based on it. So I'm hoping that will come out sometime in the future.
0: Yeah, one of our greatest ambassadors is Drew Fustini, who's you know one of the principals at Beagle, and he's constantly working with us. And I, I fully expect Beagle to do that. But you know, this year is a very tough year for Tip Supply, right? And so Everybody got that. I mean originally we were hoping to get these thousand boards seated by December, but now it's gonna be next year.
1: Yeah, when the big boys like Intel AMD and NVIDIA are having problems getting their chips, it's obvious that smaller organizations are gonna are gonna run into that as well. Yep. So how exactly did you end up at risk five? Because
0: Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe I read somewhere that you have a background in MIPS. Yeah, I was uh, an early employee at MIPS. You know, the biggest things, you know, I did, you know, I had my own consulting company for quite a while and did that on and off. But I, I ran Solaris for some for about five years. So ZFS, d zones, Zones all started under my watch um, and also had a flash-based, highly parallelized, big data startup that I sold off to EMC in 2015. And then I went off and helped FICO with anti-money laundering software for three and a half years. So I've worked everywhere from the ISA up to applications. And I think one of the reasons they picked me was because they wanted somebody with a software purview. Uh, because a lot of the people who got involved early were ISA nerds, right? And and as I said, ISA by itself is is not as useful. So um so they dragged me in. But the actual way my name got in the hat, there's like 30 people who who applied. I actually didn't apply. I had some friends from MIPS who uh, approached me um, in November of, of 2019 and said, hey, would you throw your hat in? And I said, OK. I was still busy with my consulting business at that point. And then COVID hit. And so every once in a while, they'd say, hey, will you talk to another person? And then like in May, they called me one day and say, hey, we're making you an offer today. I go, what? You know, <laughs> and uh, I've been happy ever since. It's uh, a great boss. Um, Krista's an amazing an amazingly brilliant person and and the teams and the the members are just uh, astonishingly good so before you came on right when
1: you were kind of going through that process of, of applying and then and then hearing back that they were interested did you did you kind of recognize the challenge of what risk 5 was facing based on your experience in the
0: industry oh absolutely you know <laughs> you know i again when i think one of the reasons that they picked me is because my experience with solaris uh, Solaris. I had about 500 people reporting to me, but there was another 2,000 people contributed to Solaris who didn't report to me. And so the uh, the acts you have to do in order to bring a community together, in order to put out a product, and not hurt each other, right? Because sometimes, like one person's plans could in you know impose on another person's plans. And you know, there's always personalities. There's always different agendas. That's always the case. And so I felt like eminently. Uh, ready to do this, and I I haven't been disappointed. <laughs> it's 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 been a a great challenge, and I think the biggest thing again is that everybody feels this pride of ownership around Risk Five, the same way that people do around Linux. So ultimately, even if people disagree, they're both trying to do the the best for Risk Five, and that's just an amazing feeling. So
1: when you just mentioned there about the the developer community, and you've made a few references to similarities with Linux. So for for people that are familiar with the, the kind of the Linux contribution model, how does that compare to the contribution model that you guys at RISC-V have?
0: Uh, that's a really great question. and It's one of the first things I did when I came in was analyze that. And one of the things I, I analyze, and, and, and this is sort of fundamental to what how we do things, is that there are two jobs inside of Risk v for contributors. One job are for architects to help design the ISA. And then there's another set of jobs for architects and developers who are really working in the ecosystem. And initially, we kind of try to treat them all the same. So, you know, hey, if you're going ahead and designing the uh, ISA for Vector, then you're going ahead and doing the compilers and the, this, the tests and this and that. And we realized that that didn't work because we didn't attract the right people to do what I would call developer work. Right, And so what we did was we came up with this novel program called the Development Partner Program, which also subscribes to the same contributor model that you see under Linux, except what we did was we went back to some institutions with a larger group of people and had them take on whole projects. So, for example, we have IIT Madras or China Academy of Sciences. Um, we're, we're in discussions with people in in Europe and so on and so forth. So, there's right now there's about uh, four major groups that are doing work. We meet biweekly. We have a list of the projects and tasks that need to be done by the extensions that are trying to you know get these ISAs over the goal line. And they pick up projects and they help us and they get them done and talk to Richard Newell from uh, Microsemi, who's who's. The task group chair for CryptoScaler, you know, he just called them godsend. He said he would not have gotten over the goal line without them.
1: With your early career, you know, with MIPS and you mentioned Sun, did you kind of anticipate that we were going to hit that point where there were going to be open source ISAs?
0: um I- I think it was pretty clear and pretty obvious uh, that that was happening. I mean, I, I was the guy who brought all the Linux libraries and commands into Solaris with, with some of the folks kicking and screaming. And I I just said, look, if you don't do it, I'll find somebody who, who will. It, it, it just, there's a certain hill. You, I mean, you have to get over this idea in your brain that open source will work. And I think part of it was, you know, some of the early open source characters that were in play, you know, were uh, not as, as, acceptable to folks as some of the later ones. And so, you know, when, when Linus showed up and did what he did, it really made a very big difference in the world. And I think without him, it probably would not be where it is today. But it's, it's his character. It's his dedication, I think, that everybody sees towards doing good engineering. And that's really what happens when we get in the room is good engineering. So I think from very early on, I've, I've been dragging stuff from open source. I've been funding stuff in open source. I funded... NFS v4 port with Ann Arbor when I was running Solaris. So I've done things over the years on and off with open source. They were driving me to open source Solaris. And obviously we had the whole go at and problem and we had to deal with licensing and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, those same people who were telling me to open source Solaris were telling people to open source Spark, right? With Spark with C. You have to say Spark with a C and Spark with a K these days, right? So uh, Spark with the a C. And so, It was very clear from that, you you know, MIPS did some early interesting work in the fact that they licensed it out to multiple, you know, multiple foundries, multiple shops. That was like a first step, but, you know, open power, open Spark, open MIPS, all these things occurred in the, you know, in the late 1990s and the 2000s. The problem with it is, When when you have something that's handed whole cloth over, you have two issues. One is it's not people's thing. And there's a I can't I can't quantify this pride of ownership thing, but I keep on saying it, but it's really, really critically important. And the second thing is the eight hundred pound gorilla discussion that we had before. And so I think when Krista came along in two thousand and ten and ended up doing RISC V with Dave Patterson, it was clear that there is a desire for it. And people just jumped on the bag bandwagon fairly quickly, uh, early adopters. And then now, over time, as people are successful in releasing product with it, and again, you know, the runway for products in the IoT embedded space is a lot shorter. So you see them coming out first, and then you see some of the bigger things, the edge, the enterprise, you know, so on and so forth, taking a little bit more time to come out. But as you see these products come out, more people say, aha, I can do this, right? There's enough. Pieces there that I can be successful with this and have the control I want. It's it's really Dave Patterson will tell you it's all about flexibility. It's nice that it's free, but it's better that you can do what you want with it. It's the same thing as Linux. You can do anything you want with it, right? I mean, you you can't keep it secret, right? But you can do anything you want with it, and and that is really the big value. Even if people don't do what they want with it, even if they are using something as stock off the shelf. The fact that they can is really incredibly important to us.
1: Yeah, I find the flexibility also grants kind of a a freedom and a security that the rug isn't going to get pulled out from under you because like, even if, hypothetically, the Linux kernel changed the way everything worked, well, you can still get the source code for what you're using, so you could still compile it to still be able to continue with with what you're currently using. Exactly. And it's interesting, one of the things that you mentioned, because when I interviewed John Mad Dog Hall earlier this year, he also spoke about how You know, the early days of Linux, a lot of the the characters were kind of rough and weren't really acceptable in the corporate mind. And then Linus came along and was very polite, very well-mannered, looked great. And it was like, oh, okay, yeah, this is great. We wanna, we wanna go for this. One of the other things I talked about with him was how there seems to be that cycle. And he mentioned that, you know, when he first started doing software development, it wasn't necessarily open source as we would call it today, but he had to have access to all the source code for the system to then be able to develop the programs at wherever he was working. And there was a a, a level of openness about how the hardware was actually built because uh, at those days you had to take that into account when you were designing the software. And then, of course, everything over time trended towards the closed source model for both software and hardware. And then open source software has, has taken off. And I hope that we're seeing kind of the open source aspect of hardware and the ISA starting to take off. But do you think that we will get to a point, I don't, I don't know, say in 20 years, where it will be possible to go down to a retailer, say Micro Center or one of those other places, and be able to buy, you know, Risk Five hardware to be able to use, easily accessible for, you know, everyone in the community?
0: Oh, a lot, lot sooner than that. <laughs> I mean, the fact that you can get a half a dozen different development boards this year, not I mean, I'm not even talking about the little ones like the Spark Funds, the tiny guys. I'm talking about things you can run Linux on. It's just uh, an indicator of where things are heading. There's a big demand for it. I mean, look, also, the fact that you have Linux and Android and and you know all the you know JavaScript, Java, Python. You, you have all these things that run sort of independently. You know, all the Chronos libraries for for you know the beginnings of some of the ML stuff and all the graphic stuff. But I mean Rust, uh, you know, you just keep are you just keep on going down the path. You don't have to worry about that you're on something with a incompatible API or ABI. You bring your software over most of it is portable at this point very little software just runs uh alone on something and if worse comes to worse you throw a docker on there and you you emulate what you want right and so so i think it's it's really um great that we sit at this position in history you know just even from the perspective of, of extensions you know, we get to sit here and see what everybody did with vector before before we do vector, right? And so we have a hundred instructions to do. Another architecture takes two thousand instructions to do. Well, the same thing's true in in the arena that we just talked about. It, you know, we uh, get the benefit of the fact that people have already worked on portability, right? They want things to work on ARM and Android the same way that it works on Mac OS, and the same way that it works on Linux on some white box, right? And so, because all that work was done to make portability work, um, I think it's great. And then, if you take a look at the guys who are doing really big stuff, the Googles and the Amazons, who are both working with RISC-V at various levels, you know, those guys do nodes that run basically uh, architecture-independent software, and you know, they they don't want to have some big four-way connected by QPI or whatever the last latest uh, interface is. They want, you know, a, a single node with one die with a bunch of cores, and then they manage the resources between their nodes, right? And so so the world has changed. Horizontal is, is scaling and scale out are, are really king at the moment. This kind pendulum swing back and forth. But I think as you go more towards scale out, you know, ability to move software from architecture to architecture just grows because you're not going to throw things on these scale outs that are, really um, very customized for a particular instruction set if you're going to replace it in a year or two with something else and your boxes are, you know, they're, they're mixed, right? And so, uh, so it's a very exciting time. And again, we benefit, stand on the shoulders of giants, and we're very grateful for it.
1: Yeah, one of the things that I love to explain to people who kind of don't understand the open source concept is that it's effectively the scientific method, which has done really well for our species in, in making the world a better place, you know. You you stand on the shoulders of giants. And for me, that's when I first kind of got open source and it finally clicked. It was the we don't have to just reinvent the wheel every single time. We can look at all the wheels that have been made before and go, Well, we can make a better wheel if we if we take this part of this and this bit of this and we and we do this. For you, what would you say was kind of your aha moment for when you understood? the capabilities that open source provided and what it would actually allow
0: us to accomplish? Um, you know, I, I don't think I had an aha moment. I think it was just, I mean, look, you know, when you, when you started working in Unix back in the 80s, it kind of felt like it was open, right? I mean, you got sourced from AT&T, right? You know, we're running on a PDP, whatever, you know? So, I, I mean, it kind of felt that way. And then I think your description of it was right. Everything kind of went proprietary. And then, you know, you had to worry about whether you're running on Solaris or AIX or whatever. And there was, you know, one company that said their golden jewels were their proprietary APIs, right? That's what, that's how they held their customers in. And that's gone. I mean, that's just out the window. It doesn't matter which operating system you're talking about. That's absolutely gone. And so, so I, I think I, I just, sort of evolved into it you know i i had some some of that bridling against some of the early players but but once linux came out it was just like yeah this is no-brainer man and you just sat there and you know watched ibm paint penguins on the street and 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 when you say Lou gerstner is spending time you know making linux successful like you have to open your eyes and go somebody's seeing the future and then it just progressed very naturally from there and, and you know when i first started playing with linux people could lose their job by suggesting to use linux and now people lose their jobs by suggesting something else right and so it really has progressed it really has has just evolved i i don't think there was a a, a you know a watershed moment i don't think that existed it it, it happened over 20 years and it, it evolved and you know here we are and like oh yeah nobody would think about doing something differently at this point and you know why didn't somebody actually do a chip in open source earlier right from from open source to start with as opposed to you know being given away in whole cloth and so uh so i i just think it's it's just just been an amazing evolution and i think you know they'll be writing about it for a hundred years mm-hmm. so with
1: that kind of perspective of that evolution, are there things that you know? If somebody invented a time machine and you could go back and talk to your younger self, are there things that you would pass along to yourself that you wish you know that you know now that you wish you knew then?
0: Well, you know, I think there's a lot of psychology involved in people adopting things like open source. You know, when you, when you, I mean, there's hard times getting people to think about you know something like Java or JavaScript, right? and just what people have seen over time is just this um, uh, improvement in solving their solutions you know how many new computer languages over the last 15 years how many new databases over the last 15 years i mean also we wouldn't be where we're sitting with risk 5 if eda hadn't had a renaissance over the last 15 years you can do something very quickly by you know placing modules and putting stuff together for an SOC and so on and so forth. So I think we've seen this just renaissance explosion, uh, very fast evolution, you know, do Spark with a K, JavaScript, Python, and, and then there's, you know, things like Ruby on Rails and, you know, all, all these, Rust. I mean, like, thank God for Rust, right? <laughs> you know? uh, anybody who programmed with c and didn't do something that rust did in order to like make memory safe probably wasn't writing a good program right and so we all did it manually and this built it in and it was really great and java unfortunately was too opaque Right, and we, we really couldn't use it the way we wanted to use it. We couldn't you know, make it map to pages. We couldn't do a bunch of things easily. So I really think you're seeing a renaissance in, in all pieces of computer science. Things are moving fast. And once you have that foundational piece in different areas, that means you can build solutions quicker and you think of more things that can be part of the foundation more quickly. So I think that you're just gonna see this accelerate over time. Uh, as opposed to slow down. So
1: speaking of the, the explosions of offerings that got us to to where we sit today, what are the things that you see being worked on right now that you think are going to be the ones that propel us exponentially forward in the future?
0: Well, I, I mean, at the risk of being trite, um, <laughs> you know, machine learning at all, the things that people like Cerebrus and Esperanto are doing with these thousand die on the core, solving problems in a different way, you know the continuation of distributed computing with Hadoop and all his grandchildren. Th- those things are the things that I think are going to fuel you know the Alexas of the next generation, right? It's our our interaction with computers are just going to get better and better, and it's going to take um, you know risc five and all the things that are being built into it, and all the people are doing things to use it to build their systems in order to, to take advantage of it. But you know, there's there's no question people are using. ML all the way from, you know, embedded all the way up to HPC, right? And, you know, yeah, some people are calling things ML that they called something else five years ago, uh, but, but, but true, true algorithms that need to be done and, you know, all the, the stuff that, that comes around it, there's really fundamental work that's being laid down right now, uh, both in the open source hardware world and the open source software world, I, I think that's going to fuel this next generation. I mean, we also can't forget that things like uh, Hadoop originated in places like Google. You know, they have a very strong open source mentality. They, you know, they have their timeline and stuff, but they have a very strong open source mentality. And I think you're just going to see the same thing continue from places like Amazon, from Google, etc. So
1: at the last two years at Hot Chips, I have notice that there are since you brought up the the ai and ml there are outfits that are doing optical-based computing instead of silicon-based computing is that the, the kind of thing that could in the future at some point also tie in with risk 5 or does that stand apart i don't i don't really know how the isas work on that level so if you could give me a little information
0: uh, your guess is as good as mine it's probably better to talk to somebody who's a silicon head than me uh, about this stuff but in general I mean look there people are talking about quantum computing and and things like that and that's going to change how we we look at things because it will do things differently but in the end somebody's going to have to program in some higher le- level language. I mean they're not going to be doing this all in assembly language. And so whether that's, you know, C or something that that is inherently uh, more parallel or something like that, we have yet to see. But in the end I think that the architectures are all going to be based on whatever the latest and best technology is to base them on, um, and then they'll they'll evolve from there. But I think we have to lay down tracks there and build the, those building blocks I talked about in these other areas for that, and then you'll see uh, a you know more uh, robust answer to, to the question here.
1: Okay, uh, to flip an earlier question of mine on its head, when I asked about you know what do you see being developed that that you're excited about. What are the things that you think we as a community of Dell developers aren't focusing on? Like, are there certain areas that you see and you go, this is an area where we really should focus a little more attention on?
0: Well, I'm a little sad that the whole security thing has really bifurcated between the architectures. It's a place where I think uh, humanity needs to come together and just agree on some basics. You know, we, we don't need, I don't think, marketing terms for things like enclaves and stuff like that. I think we need... Real solutions because um, you know it, it hits everybody every day. I mean, I've been defrauded seventeen times since twenty fourteen after one data leak. You know, so everything from credit cards to mortgages to um, to false tax returns. So everybody gets hit by it. I'm actually a lot more into detection now than prevention. <laughs> But, uh, but you know, all these pieces, trusted execution, secure boot, boot cryptography, memory safety, uh, you know, all these things are really, really important. And I, I I think it's a place where we need to put partisanship aside and and just knock it out for the industry and, and really uh, make the whole thing better. Okay.
1: To then take a step aside from that, if there was someone who was considering that they want to get involved into, you know, technology, whether that's you know, hardware design or open source software design. Are the, Is there any advice that you would give just kind of in general about career,
0: getting involved, et cetera? Uh, absolutely. I mean, look, everybody I know have paid their dues, right? You got to pay your dues, right? That That's just the way it works. So so if you're not a technology hound, I mean, what's on your night table to read or on your phone these days to read? If you're not a technology hound and and wanting to absorb stuff, then you're probably shouldn't be doing this right you know these people who are 12 years old and developing risk five tips i mean those those guys have passion right you got to have passion otherwise you know go flip burgers or do something else but have the passion don't be afraid to work hard because it it takes a lot of time to build up a body of knowledge and experience to to do things and You know for god's sake have some fun
1: well mark that sounds like a great place to end on i really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today one final question is for those that are interested in learning more about risk 5 where should they go
0: absolutely risk5.org that's the best place underneath there you'll find a a tech uh, portion of it there's a tech tech on the top page and in there there's a getting started guide there's um, you know urls to github to dashboards to everything else Uh, And if all else fails, if you're interested in sort of the the marketing side, info at risk5.org and the tech side, help at risk5.org. And we'll be glad to answer any question anybody has. And we want people to get excited about this. This is huge. You know, we welcome everybody. Uh, We break down barriers between countries and companies and cultures and time zones. And we're we're glad to uh, be part of this universe. Great. Well, thanks again, Mark. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care.